This little map right here is on your, on your notes. And this is going to be the uh, Last Supper. This is Jerusalem. Temple Mount, Temple Court, there's the temple. This is the old city of David coming down here. Pool of Siloam right here. Um, this was the city of Nehemiah's day, for example. And this part of the city was the city that David took. Uh, this time, by this time in the New Testament, it had expanded out like this. This is where Herod's palace was. This is the western hill that was destroyed uh, by Nebuchadnezzar in 586. And on Tuesday, as we're talking about, it wasn't rebuilt by Nehemiah. It was left rubble. By this time, of course, it had expanded out. The, the suburbs had expanded out. And this was the rich part of the city. That's where the high priest's house. We know that because of the situation, but we also know that excavation. They're, they're excavating some very nice houses in this area. And this is probably where the Last Supper was at, where they, they came in. This is the, bo- the bold line is where they, the disciples came in and followed the man to the, the house and asked if the, ho- uh, the room was ready. And they had the Last Supper. This smaller dotted line is them leaving tonight, going back out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, they're going to be staying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples and Jesus, uh, probably planned ahead. Uh, they're, they're not just out here praying, they're out here sleeping. That was the, the plan, mostly. Instead of going all the way back to Bethany after a late night here, they're just going to go out here and spend the night here in, a, in most likely, a cave, which is a, the, a, an oil press. Gethsemane means oil press. Uh, there's there's gar- the groves of olive trees there, but it appears, and we'll talk about it when we get into the, the story, but there's a cave and a place to sleep, maybe have a little fire going, uh, and they could sleep in there. In the cave, Jesus, it, John says it was a garden, but that would not be unusual to have a cave, then come outside, Jesus leaves the cave area and goes out and prays away. Again, we got the details of the scripture and some of these things we don't want to get too far out of bounds, but that's what they're going to be doing there. Nonetheless, uh, also, if you go into uh, much later, see there's the city walls of 30 A.D., uh, they began to expand the walls. By 70 A.D., there was another wall built out and around over here. Uh, it was called the third wall. First wall, second wall, then a third wall. Herod Agrippa II had built it. Uh, nonetheless, Jesus, the tombs are going to be, the cross is going to be here, the tombs are going to be here. Uh, by 70 A.D., by 64 A.D., 65, the, the, the tombs are inside the city. And they are today. So if, you know, Jesus was crucified outside the city, yes, he was. But even if you go there today, the walls, the, the walls that you see today were built in the 1500s. The tomb of Christ, uh, the Holy Sepulcher, is inside the walls of the city. And some of you go, oh, well, it can't be. Jesus wasn't buried inside the city. No, he wasn't. But the walls have moved, even in the first century, by Herod Agrippa II. And then, uh, again, throughout the history. So nonetheless, that's the way it would have looked. Now, some other pictures here I've got for you. Uh, this one is going to be, he's going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll look at this next week. This is going to be uh, the day of his crucifixion, the trials. We'll go through all the different locations. He's going to first be taken to uh, the, uh, the, the high priest in the house of Caiaphas. He's going to go over here to the Sanhedrin. He's going to be meeting here. He's going to appear to, be, to Pilate, I think. Again, we'll get into that next time. But Pilate, Herod's palace. He's going to be back and forth like five or six trials that night. Now, he's going to be arrested about 2 o'clock in the morning. Again, we don't have exact times, but it's late enough that they're going to bed, and Jesus is praying for an hour. If they got out there on the Garden of Gethsemane at 1 o'clock, he'll be arrested at 2. 
and he's going to go through all of these trials so that by 9 o'clock in the morning, if he's arrested at 2, he's going to go through all these trials. He moved all around the city all night long, meeting with the high priest, meeting with the Sanhedrin, meeting with Pilate, meeting with Herod, not Herod the Great, uh, but uh, Herod Antipas. Uh, and all that's going to take place so that he's accused and then walks to the crucifixion and is on the cross at 9 o'clock. So sometime like between 2 and, say, 8 o'clock, all the trials have taken place, and Jesus is on his way to his crucifixion. It's going to happen fast. So we'll talk about that map in the next few weeks. Now, here is uh, standing. If you're standing uh, basically outside, the, uh, if you're standing right about here, where the eastern gate's at, standing right here, and you're looking down in the Kidron Valley at the Garden of Gethsemane. I, was, I took this picture standing right, if I had, I'm looking this way at the Mount of Olives, the wall, the eastern wall is right here. In fact, the eastern gate is right in this area. So you can see some of the tombs, the Muslim tombs right here, and you're going down into the Kidron Valley, and then up the Mount of Olives, and there's three summits. One, you can see a little bit of one, Two, then there's a dip, a little saddle here. There's a third, three summits. Again, not like huge differences, but you can just see like a ridge there of the Mount of Olives. This is the church, not a big deal. Uh, the church of all nations, I don't get too impressed with it. It's a great feature. It's nice. All the nations love God. Okay, we're all going to go to there and become one nation, follow the Antichrist, whatever. Um, but this is the area of the Garden of Gethsemane. It's potential, like right back in here, kind of adjacent to the uh, church, uh, church of All Nations is where that cave would have been. Kind of traditionally, that's kind of the idea that it's back in here. So that is, we're looking down, we're looking at the Mount of Olives, and the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive trees are in this area here. And here's another picture. And there is an olive tree. Now, these are old. You can see how old and gnarly they are. So they're very old. Uh, they could, some of them could date back to 2,000 years. Uh, for sure, there's some 1,500, 1,600, 1,800 year old trees there. Uh, there, uh, there really can't be anything older than 2,000 years, because in 70 A.D. Rome cut everything down and used it for uh, siege engines and fuel, and so they, they stripped that the land was laid waste. So, well, that tree could have been there. Okay, theoretically, it could have been like a small sprout, you know, and the Romans then kill it, burn it or something, and then it kept growing. That's possible. But that tree was not there. But there were trees like that. But that tree is still 15, 16, 1700 years old at least. It could be 2000 years old. Uh for example, those are now we're in the now we're in the garden area today that is the garden area. There's like two or three different places that could be where this is at and then you could locate it with a cave. There's another tree right there and uh that's, a, that's an olive tree, and it's all gnarly. You, see the, you can't see if that's where olives would be coming off that, taken to the press and pressed for oil. Now we're standing in the Garden of Olives, uh, or the Gethsemane, and we're looking up at the Eastern Gate. Uh, so you can see right here, you're behind you, you're about a third of the way up the Mount of Olives, so that Mount of Olives continues up the backside here. You're still a third of the way up, so you're looking still down into the Kidron Valley, just a, you know, a few steps, and you're walking down into the Kidron Valley and making your way up to here. And right on the other side is the Dome of the Rock today. But that would be the Eastern Gate. Again, this wall and this Eastern Gate was built in the 1500s by Suleiman the Great, protecting the city from the 
uh, another rise of the Crusaders or the Europeans coming over uh, into to the Middle East. Below that is definitely the wall line of the Old Testament, New Testament city walls. And like we've said in other classes, prob- not probably, but they've got a few pictures of it. They just can't excavate it. The eastern gate that Jesus would have walked in is below that gate. And I could go into more detail about that. But you just have to look at the Damascus gate on the north side to see that there's a Damascus gate built in the 1500s, and they've excavated below that and found the first century gate, and the pavements there, the the entrance walls or entrance gates for the pedestrians are there, and uh, so you can you can see it. So there's probably and again they've got some photographs. James Fleming in 1967 got some, but that's you're standing in the Garden of Eden looking up there, so you get an idea of how far Jesus would have walked, uh, going from the Last Supper out, probably one of these gates, maybe the Dung Gate, and then or going out here would have been the Water Gate, and going over here, and again, that would have taken 20 minutes to walk. That was always something I wanted to do. I wanted to just, I wanted to make that walk someday, go here and just walk out here and see how long it would take and what we'd like to make that journey, and I, I did that one time and sat there and read uh, the... Uh, the eschatological verses that Jesus taught on the Sermon on, uh, not the Sermon on the Mount, but the Mount, Mount of Olives discourse. And uh, there's, again, the map for tonight, so we'll leave that there. Okay. There we have it. Okay, we've got now our text. We were in Mark, still in Mark chapter 14. If you look in Mark 14, uh, it begins with Jesus being anointed in Bethany, and then uh, he, he sends his disciples in uh, to find, get ready for the supper. That's in verse 12. Uh, we talk about the Last Supper last week, and we end up with uh, verse 26 uh, last week. Uh, he, he just instituted the new covenant. You know, a covenant, It doesn't say new covenant in the text, but it was definitely a, a new blood, new, new introduction of, of a, a a covenant that was going to be made, so it had to be new because it, was, it wasn't a, a reenactment of something else. And then it says, during this meal, it says, when they had sung a hymn, the, uh, the Hillel, it would be the last song of the meal, and we're assuming they're celebrating Passover. And this night in, in, of Passover is to be a night of watching, it, it, and this is going to come up later in our talk. It, it's, it's a night of watching, even in, in the book of uh, Exodus, we're talking about it'll be a night of watching where you're watching uh, and, and, and being prepared because the Lord is coming to deliver you. The Lord will be watching because he's watching to deliver his people. That's out of the Old Testament. And so the word watching is going to come up here tonight. Anyway, they sing, sing the hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives, which is probably pre-planned and probably something Judas was kind of making sure he understood where they were going to go. If anything, Judas was at this Last Supper kind of on a scouting mission. Where are you guys spending the evening? What time's the meal going to be over? Where will I be able to find you? Because he's going to approach them at this location with an armed battalion of, of temple police, Levites, and some younger priests. Okay, so they, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So during this journey, if they go out and around like this, or if they you know, go through the city like this, however they get to the Mount of Olives, uh, they're probably talking. And that's where you've got these next verses. 
verse 27, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That's out of Zechariah. You may remember that. We went through the book of Zechariah. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Again, that's interesting. After I'm risen, again, they don't understand what that means, uh, at least clearly. I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And if you remember, one of the things the angels tell the women is go tell his disciples that he'll meet them in Galilee. Because so right here he says, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. So it gives the impression that, that uh, the whole, there's always was a plan that we'll reassemble in Galilee. We're not going to need to reassemble here in Jerusalem. You'll be scattered. You'll be confused. And then I'll go up to Galilee and we'll have some peace. You come up there and I'll meet you up in Galilee. And that's where he cooks fish for them and things. So right away, even here, of course, he's going to appear to them in Jerusalem in the upper room and different things, which would be John Mark's house, um, his mom Mary's house. But anyway, that's just interesting. I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. And that, that does, that's not an empty phrase because even the angels tell the women, go tell him he'll see him in, in Galilee. Peter declared, go after the, again, this is, this is Peter. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time. I want to go back through these verses again with the English Standard Version in the notes. I don't want to you know, burn up the whole story here. Uh, but again, you can just see the, 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 you know, the, the character of Peter. Because uh, Jesus just says, again, you will all fall away. And Peter, of course, earlier in the meal, there had been the discussion of, one of you will betray me. And Peter says, surely it's not I, but which one of these guys is going to say, surely it's not me, but who, who is it? Uh, now, they're all going to fall. Now, you're, all, you're not all going to betray me, but you're all going to fall away. And Peter's like, well, yeah, knowing this group, I tend to agree with you, but I won't. I, I, will, I will not fall away. He, even if all fall away, I will not. It's you and me, Jesus, to the end. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today... Yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. In, the next, in this time, from the time that he's arrested to 2 o'clock, and then drug through those, you know, if it's three, four, five, seven trials, we'll go through that, uh, and is put on the cross, even very early, before the sun comes up, and the trials are still going on, uh, Peter's going to have denied Christ three times, just saying, I, I, I don't know him. Yeah, I'm, I'm here just trying to figure out what's going on like everybody else. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, no, I'm not one of them. He's going to do that three times, and he says before the, the rooster crows twice, and that's a, kind of some discussion of what twice means. I mean, it's twice. But does that mean there's going to be the early rooster crow, and then there's going to be like, you know, kind of as the sun starts to peak up, and there's going to be a second crow that's kind of, you know, the first one kind of like gets everybody woken up. The second one is like, okay, it gets everybody out of bed. There's the two crows or some say there's going to be one cry out you know in, in during the night and then there's going to be one in the morning but nonetheless that's the discussion that you know you can think about but peter insisted emphatically again arguing with jesus in fact this whole night he told him at Caesarea philippi up north jesus uh, the son of man is going to be crucified and peter says no not so it's not going to happen and so he was, he was, he's been adamant that this day was not going to take place. And yet, here they are, and now Peter's being told, you're going to deny me. <laughs> no, tonight's not going to happen. You're not going to be arrested. You're not going to the cross. You're not going to die. And I'm not going to betray you. Let's just get this one, one thing straight. 
But Peter, even after being told before the rooster crowed, I mean, Jesus giving him details, time markers of his failure. He's not even telling him it's possible you're going to betray me. I know the time and the number of times you're going to betray me before the rooster crows. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same thing. Now again, we see Peter talking a lot throughout the book of Mark because we assume Mark is writing Peter's account. Uh, And Peter is also the spokesperson for the disciples. So most likely, whenever you see Peter saying something and doing something, He's the one that's getting the, the airtime. He's the one on the talk shows. He's, got the, he's the face on the camera. But all the disciples are in the background doing the same thing. They're, they're saying the same thing, having the same plans. He's just the one out there that gets all the camera time, if you want to say it that way. Sometimes he's an individual, but a lot of times he's just the spokesperson for the group. Okay, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Now, again, through this whole story, remember, it's, it's after midnight. They probably leave sometime after midnight, you know, maybe getting towards 1 o'clock. By the time they get here, it's 1 o'clock in the morning because it's been a long evening, a long meal. Uh, and so it's, it's, they're here for sleep. That's, that, this is their campground. They're camping. And again, the whole city, it's not like the disciples, well, they're camping out. That's strange. No, they're... The city would be full of people. You'd be sharing your rooms with people. But there's also people camping all around Jerusalem. So this is not unique. If anything's unique is they've got such a prime real estate for, uh, for the camp. I mean, it's right there. You've got a cave. Now, you're not just setting up a tent or something. You may have a cave, the Garden of Gethsemane, prime real estate just right across from the temple. And also, they had very fortunate luck of having an upper room, a, a nice room in the rich part of the town. I mean, this idea that Jesus didn't have anything and, and, and didn't was, you know, just kind of flying by the seat of his pants. I mean, he's celebrating the, the Passover right in the neighborhood of the priests, the priestly houses. And he knows the people. And it's a prearranged. And then he's got a place out here, a wine press. Now the wine press, if it's in the if it's in a cave, it's a wine press because Gethsemane means the, the place of, of great pre, uh, pressing olives, olive press. And so if, it, if it's in a cave or something like this, uh, it would be used in the fall and winter, say, you know, November, December. But by this time, which we'd call it April, it's Nissan, uh, it, it's abandoned, not abandoned like left behind, but it's, it's idle. It's not being used. So if you were trying to do this maybe in November or December using our months, uh, you can't because we're working all night, we're pressing oil. But now this time of year, it's, it's, it's open, it's, it's available. They went to a place called Gethsemane. He says, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John, typical three, along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. There's an important word. That's the word watch. Like he's told them in the eschatological chapter, uh, chapter 13, right before, throughout there, he's telling them, be watching, watch, watch. You do not know the day or hour the Son of Man's come back, so watch. This is the same word. I'm going to go pray, you watch. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily look out for Judas. I mean, you could say he, be, be on guard. 
as much as you be alert and watching your souls. Be, be, be spiritually alert. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Now, you imagine Jesus saying, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow. Uh, you guys should be very concerned about yourself. If I'm overwhelmed, I can imagine you're getting crushed. It's like, no, we're just going to fall asleep. We're not even worried about anything. Okay, that's how out of touch you are. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed. Again, the falling to the ground is unique because that's the normal side of prayer would be standing with your hands raised to heaven. We see Ezra falling and praying on his face in the Temple Mount when he comes back. So you see this different times. But it's always in a moment of great distress, great anguish. Uh, you're, I mean, it, it's a disaster. And so Jesus is not just doing his ritual prayers. He's out laying down on the ground or then lay down. He fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father... And again, Mark keeps the Arabic in there, Aramaic in there, the Abba. He said, everything is possible. We'll talk about this in just a moment. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, there's no way Jesus just, it's not, it's just dawning on him. It's like, oh my gosh, I know what's going to happen now. He's known this from the beginning. If he understands scripture, he's known this from the beginning of, well, he's, he's God, so he's known it since he came into the earth. But as a man growing up, as he was learning scriptures, this is his role. If you are the Christ, this is your role. It's written about you in the scroll. It's like, and this is what you do. So he, he understands uh, this, this position. So it's, he just knows the hours near where he's going to have to act on the part that he's been assigned. Then he returned to his disciples, he prayed, and found them, asleep, found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, again, that's an interesting name, Simon, that's, not his, that's his old name, uh, he said to Peter, which was his new name, the rock, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. I mean, especially after, I'll be with you to death. Can you pray with me? Yes. And then fall asleep. It's like, doesn't give me a lot of confidence you're going to stand with me until your death. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Let the Son of Man be, uh, excuse me, look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Again, clearly indicating he's in full contact, full awareness, full control of the situation. I mean, he's prayed up until the very moment. It's like, well, let's go. And right on cue, here's Judas. Again, this is, again, if you're counting the time, you know, it's getting to be 2 o'clock in the morning, and again, we're not sure. He's talking about praying for an hour. Is he actually counting down 60 minutes three different times, or is it a period of time? That's all something we can talk about. Verse 43, just as he was speaking, behold, my betrayer is here, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. So when it says crowd, I don't know, again, I don't think you need to go with 
These are, you know, uh, the pitchforks and, and, and torches coming from the community, coming out there to get Jesus. These are the, uh, the temple guards. These would be the Levites and maybe some of the young priests that were sent out by uh, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. So the elders would be the Sanhedrin. The teachers of the law would also be rabbis, many of them Sanhedrin members. And then the chief priests, that would be the high priest, and then the leading priests underneath him. The, the religious groups have come out to arrest Jesus. So again, when it says crowd, uh, I think you want to look at something a little more official than just you know, a bunch of mad neighbors coming over with their pitchforks and torches. Uh, they're coming out with swords and clubs, and it's probably the Levites that are the temple guards going off to arrest this, this enemy of the temple, uh, Jesus. And again, you can see stuff like that going on in our culture today. Now, the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. That was Judas's words. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Uh, again, you're going to have to guard him, arrest him, because he's maybe anticipating uh, some attack by Peter, some retaliation by Peter, because Peter's been talking about it. He's bragging. They, we know from other Gospels that they've got a couple swords with them. Peter's going to grab one of the swords. They may just be, they're either swords or they're the sacrificial knives used in preparing the Passover meal. So again, uh, we can, you know, the wording is they actually got weapons, which would not they, they have, or is it the, the sacrificial knives that they've carried with them for, from the meal? But Jesus says, uh, do you have a sword? And they said, we've got two. He says, that's enough. Going at once to Jesus, verse 45, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And we'll talk about this in the notes. So there's two things going on there. The kiss is the kiss of peace. It's the kiss of greeting. It's like, hey, how's it going, brother? And you kiss him uh, on the cheek. It, it's, a, it's a greeting. It's, a, it's bringing warm welcome. And, uh, and he's not. He's using that deceptively. And then he calls him rabbi, which is a sign of respect and submission. So two things, the kiss of peace and the address of, uh, of respect and submission are both covers. He, he's, he's deceiving or trying to deceive. Now again, would Peter, James, and John be deceived? I would assume at up to this point, they're like, Judas is back. Well, G- Jesus knows the whole time from the moment he chose him, this moment was coming. So he's, he sees his coming totally. And again, you always wonder, why would uh, Judas do this? I mean, and, and have, of all the things you've seen Jesus do for three years, I mean, if you've been impressed with anything, you know you're not going to trick him. You're like, oh, rabbi. And Jesus is just like, oh, Judas, I, I didn't know this was coming. He, 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 he's got to know. But yet he doesn't. He, 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 somehow that, the, the this denseness of the human mind, although you know God is all-powerful and all-omniscient, omnipresent, uh, you still act like, I'll get away with it. And, and he does. Same with, thing with Peter. Peter's doing the same thing. Jesus says, you're all going to betray me. Well, that's Jesus just said that, oh, man, I'm going to betray Jesus. And Peter says, no, I'm, no you're not, I'm not going to. I mean, these guys will. You're right on these guys, but you're wrong about me. It's like, when was Jesus ever wrong about anything? And yet these guys, it's amazing because how do you expect the, the crowd or the, the public to follow and believe Jesus 
when the guys that are traveling with him, when they say something contradictory to their opinion, they disagree with him because you're wrong in this case. Everything else I agree with, but this is you're wrong on. It's like, no, Jesus is never wrong. But Judas and Peter in both these accounts have some different angle where they're thinking they're going to override Jesus, either with their own will or with a little bit of deception and, and catch him off guard. Then, okay, yeah, rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, Melchus is his name in the other Gospels, the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear. So one of the servants of the high priest is out there with him, and he's close enough that he's part of the arresting group. And again, we can go to John, and John lets us know this is clearly Peter. And the reason the other ones, especially Mark, do not identify, again, this is again a, a, an assumption. Why doesn't Mark say it was Peter? Um, because by this time, Peter, is, is, he's, he's, he's alive, like in, in maybe even Matthew's being written, he's still alive. Uh, Luke, he's still alive. And Mark maybe is still protecting his name and reputation because he's a criminal. I mean, you cut off the high priest servant's ear, uh, you are, you've just, you're confessing to a crime. And Peter is not going to die until 64 AD. And this is, you know, Mark is writing this after his death, so Peter would be dead or the last moments of his life. Uh, but John, by 90 AD, 85, 90 AD, I mean, Peter's been dead since 64 AD. Uh, he puts Peter's name in there. There's no harm, no foul. Uh, and Jerusalem's totally fallen. I mean, there's no government left to go arrest Peter. So again, that's speculation. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't say Peter. John clearly does. But nonetheless, uh, then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Jesus says, am I leading a rebellion? Now, there you go, right there. He's not talking to uh, the high priest servants or the guards. He's talking to his disciples. Am I leading a rebellion? Is that what we've been preparing for? Have I been pre- am I one of the Maccabees? Have I been preparing you for a revolt against Rome, Jerusalem? It's like that's what everybody wants him to lead a rebellion. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Again, every day, okay, okay, I said he's talking to uh, Peter, but the idea there is is Peter's got the sword and he's ready to go to war with these people and he's putting Peter back. It's like, Peter, this is not a revolt. We're not in a rebellion. He says, and then he now addresses the the crowd here or the the priest, "Have, have I ever gave you any indication if I've done anything uh, every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. Meaning, if I was leading a rebellion, you would have arrested me there. I, I'm, I'm not leading a rebellion. But it goes on and says, but the scripture must be fulfilled. And that again, he's, this whole evening is about him submitting to what was written in scripture. It says, but the scripture must be fulfilled. We'll come back and look at those things in a little more detail. Then everyone deserted him and fled when he says there's no rebellion it almost sucked the last hope out of people like peter maybe john and james the sons of thunder that it's like yeah we're going to do this it's like no i'm not leading a rebellion and and he just gave in it's like he's been saying this the whole time that he's going to be arrested he's going to be uh, crucified it's like we're not going to be leading a rebellion we're teaching we're communicating the kingdom of God. But when they see him back down, it's almost like 
that was, we don't know how to respond to this. And then they, they all fled, probably fearing for their lives, but also the, the, the stark reality of this, is, this movement is not what I expect. They always, always hope, probably, is today the day. Well, you know, Acts, you know, on the, when he's on the Mount of Olives, up on his, uh, after his resurrection, before he ascends into heaven, the last thing they ask, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Meaning they say, okay, maybe not now. All through, maybe not now. Maybe we're going to go to Galilee one more time. But maybe next Passover we'll do something. Well, not, not this time. Okay, we go back to Galilee. We spend another year traveling, teaching. Come back for the second Passover. Are we going to? So maybe not. And now they think, okay, looks like things are, he had Palm Sunday just a few days ago. You know, the, the, earlier that week they had Palm Sunday. Looks like things are steaming, uh, picking up some steam. And uh, the, the high priests are, are agitated. Jesus brought a, you know, said there's not be one stone left upon another. Sounds like it's going to happen this year. So now they're, they're all ready. Uh, and now they're, they're, the, the rest comes like, okay, this must be the beginning. And Jesus says, I'm not leading a rebellion. And he's saying that the, the, to the, 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 the priests and, and the guys that came out to arrest him, but also the disciples are hearing this. It's kind of like, it's like, we're not leading. It's like, I thought at some point we've got to cross that line and lead a rebellion. We, we got to at some point take the kingdom back for God. And it's like, we're not. It's like, and it, it was probably like this. And we've all had moments like that in our life. It's like, wait, at this point, finally get to a place in your life that you realize, I don't think God is going to do what I've been asking him to do. I think, I don't think I'm going to be the person that I was dreaming I'm going to be. I don't think I'm going to, I, I, I think this is completely, I, I think God's got a totally different plan. And I think that was that realization possibly right here. Besides, again, they're, 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 they're the next to be arrested. Uh, they're realizing there's, there's nothing to fight for. And then, interesting, verse 51 only gospel that records this. And again, remember, Mark writes pretty quickly. I mean, he's, I know this chapter's taking a long time. Mark would be very embarrassed that I'm still teaching chapter 14. You know, it's been four months. It takes him one chapter. It takes me four months to read it. Uh, but he goes through, the, he doesn't give you a lot of details. You know, you go back to the goss, other gospels to get some of the details. But he's covering the material, which means why is something like this verse 51 and 52 this is a detail that it, it appears to have no point it's just it's just like a like a memory it's like a, a random detail and the point is well it's just an example of everyone fleeing everyone's running and fleeing a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following jesus when they seized him he fled naked leaving his garment behind and again, the, the speculation there is that that must be John Mark. That must be the author of this book. Uh, one is, why else would you write it? Uh, the other is, uh, who's going to remember that? Of all the details that are going on, who's going to say, oh, yeah. And then there was one guy that went running off, and they reached out to grab him, and his last piece of clothing got pulled off, and he, and he ran off naked. It's like, well, you've got 11 other guys scattering, uh, and this young man, who, who is it? Is it one of the disciples? You know, they didn't mention everybody, didn't mention Peter. Maybe this is John. I mean, maybe this is John running off. Uh, but we'll come back to that. That most likely is Mark. And one of the keys to this is that phrase right there, linen garment, which is a, there's, there's 
different qualities of, it is an undergarment. Uh, you can have just your basic, you know, Walmart variety, but then you can have like the linen garments that is very nice quality, very expensive. Sometimes people are even buried in these things because they're the very nicest. Um, this guy is wearing one out for the evening, and if they were laying down to sleep, he would have taken off his outer garment, and they would have laid that down. That would have been their, their mattress or their bed. And so they were all, in a sense, in their undergarments. And if you want to say underwear, you can, but they've, they've clothed down. And they're, they're inside a cave, possibly, where it's, it's warmer. So he's laying on, on, his, on his outer garment, stands up and like everyone else, and they sees what's going on. Because all these guys, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. And that was the plan. That's Judas's plan, is why not arrest him on the Temple Mount? Why not make a public scene? Because we want to take them by surprise. We want them where they're asleep. They're not organized. It's going to be an easier. So th- these guys are, well, Peter, James, and John. They're just waking up from prayer. Well, the other disciples aren't even bothering to pray. They're, they're snoring. I mean, it's, it's been a busy week. They're like in deep sleep. You talk about REM sleep. They're like completely lost. And John Mark may have followed them out from his house. He was following Jesus, followed him out and was sleeping there with them. And when this commotion starts, they all stand up in their undergarments. Someone may put their outer coats on, but they're on the ground there. They go out, what is going on? And Jesus is being arrested. And uh, when, they see, when everybody else starts running, when Jesus says, I'm not leading a rebellion, and all the disciples start to scatter, Mark's like, I'm out of here, and starts running. One reached out to grab him, grabs his linen, not, not, not you know, cheap material, grabs it, and he's pulls away from it and runs off naked and would have won, this would have been his route Whoa! right back right back home similar what john mark is going to do in the book of acts when he comes down from galatia when from leaving paul and barnabas runs right back here to jerusalem uh but anyway there's that story right there that's their verses tonight we're almost over halfway through class here um, here's just again the English Standard Version. I've got a few notes on here. I just want to point a few things out. A lot of them, of course, we've said already. Mark fourteen twenty six through thirty one, the first section. When they had sung a hymn and went out to the mount, went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, "You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and and the sheep will be scattered." And that is from Zechariah. Uh, if we go, where's where, where am I at here? It's coming up. I'm going to refer to that again later. Uh, Zechariah 13. In fact, I'll go read that, Zechariah 13, if you don't mind. Zechariah 13, it's, it's a tough set of verses because it actually combines, uh, and we, we, I don't want to say we struggled with it, but we kind of danced around it when we covered it in Zechariah. Zechariah 13, because this is talking about on that day in the future when the Lord returns and Israel as a nation repents, and that's what you got taking place in chapter uh, 12 uh of you know the all of israel they they see him and they mourn from as the only as a son that was lost and then chapter 13 verse 1 on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of david and the inhabitants and they'll all be cleansed at chapter 13 meaning that's the national uh, uh salvation like a revival of israel coming to the lord um and then it talks about verse 4 on that day every prophet will be uh, ashamed of his prophetic vision he'll not put on a prophet's garment they're denying that they're prophets because they had previously been prophets for a false religion and now that the lord's returned there's been this national revival it's like oh i was never a prophet for the false religion i i, I well you look like one wow that's not me and so they're denying it 
what are these wounds on your body? He'll answer, the wounds I was given at a friend's house. It's, 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 I'm not a prophet. And then verse 7 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty, or Yahweh Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. So this appears, earlier in chapter 13, it appears to be the end times when Christ returns. Now we have a poem about striking the shepherd. Jesus applies it to himself right here. He says, this is, when it's going, this is being fulfilled in 30 AD. Right here, Zechariah, in Jesus' words, this is being fulfilled. Zechariah 13, verse 7, is being fulfilled when they arrest Jesus. They're striking the shepherd, and the sheep are running off. Uh, or scattering around the Mount of Olives. Now, where they all ran, who knows? Uh, against the man who is close to me. Again, that's the Lord speaking about apparently the Messiah. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And then it says, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. So if we were to put that in perspective, you're, they're going to strike the shepherd in 30 A.D. And then in 66 in the 70 A.D., Jesus already prophesied, not so will be, you know, you're going to go to war with Rome. Uh, that's when he turns his hand against the little ones, which would be against Israel. Uh, and then this continues, and that's what's going to take place. And I will turn my hand against the little ones in the whole land, declares the Lord. Two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left. So during this, the ideal here is during this time, two-thirds of the little ones will be lost but there will be one third left that will be brought into the fire and that fire would be if we keep it in context that would be the last seven years of daniel's prophecy but we've been in this time period between 70 a.d waiting for this we've been in this time period here of what we call church history and this one third of israel has been coming continuing you know existing and is going to be brought into the fire right here to be refined and that would be one way of explaining this third i'll bring into the fire i'll refine them like silver and test them like gold they will call on my name and i will answer them and that's what takes place over in chapter 12 when they see the one that they pierced and they mourn for the one they pierced that's when they've been refined they finally realize the one we arrested and killed here is the messiah two-thirds are lost in the war with Rome or throughout history, a third are brought in. And this third is going to see the return of the Lord and come to Christ. They'll call on my name and they will answer and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. So that's the verse right there. We go back to uh, the notes on page one. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now again, he's talking about the disciples scattering but it's an effect of, of everyone's going to be lost. So again, he's talking to the disciples. It appears to be eschatological, talking to the nation of Israel. Uh, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So I'm going to be struck. You're all going to be confused and run away. I will be resurrected, and you will we'll reorganize in Galilee. And again, we will see that, them regrouping in Galilee, although he's going to make some appearances there in Jerusalem. Peter said, even though they all fall away, I will not. Again, that's Peter in his, 
Again, Peter's going through a transformation. We all are going through some kind of a transformation. Of being, he's, he's self-confident. He's strong himself. He's, he's able to, he's going to do himself. But what he's going to find out, especially during this night of prayer, you can't. You're, you're weak. The things that you want to do for God, you're going to burn out and fail. You're going to have to come to Christ and rely on Christ and become dependent on him, a servant of Christ, empowered by his spirit to finish what he's called to do. And Peter, Paul, John, James, they all are going to experience that. Uh, I think Christians all experience that. Uh, And the quicker you get through that phase, sometimes the better. Peter's been struggling with this, even here at the last hour, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, confirming. It's like, Peter, there's no, there's no way. It's impossible for you to do what I expect you to do by yourself, which is good news for all of us. What God is calling you to do, you can't do. Well, I'm going to follow Christ. Well, even if it's just following Christ, you can't follow Christ. You're going to need Christ to follow Christ. You're going to have to rely on Christ for the power to, uh, rely, to, to follow Christ. And that's why what's come, coming up right here is going to say, and I hope I get to it, the flesh is willing, but the, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he's going to say, you need to pray. Pray. Be watching and praying because if you don't pray, if you're not watching, if you're not looking to Christ and praying, your flesh is going to fail. And that's, that's what the disciples are demonstrating there in the garden that night, is they are not praying, and their flesh is winning, and their spirit said, we'll do it, but you can't because you're relying on your flesh. You've got to escape, in a sense, the flesh and go to a higher power. It can't just be your attitude. It can't just be your determination. You're going to have to, and to get rid of your, your attitude and your self-sufficiency, you're going to have to be humbled. You're going to have to realize, you're going to try and try and try until finally you realize, I'm not going to be able to do this. And the saddest Christian life is the person that would probably go through their entire Christian life with the self-helps attitude, I can, I'm self-sufficient, I will get this done, and realize that you've never been able to get anything done because what you need is Christ. And all these disciples, minus Judas, are going to achieve that and accomplish great things uh, and, and begin to live the way Christ wants him to. But anyway, uh, verse 31 again on page one of the notes, but he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And, and they all said the same thing. There's your pictures there in black and white, page three. That was possibly being talked about on the way out here. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And Gethsemane means oil press. It's the Gats Semeni is the, the Greek. Some think this was a cave. I talked, introduced that. The structure used for oil press. It would be in use during the harvest season, fall and winter, but idle during this time. Now, early Christians mentioned, early Christians, like second or third, the Byzantine Christians, the 300s, 400s. Early Christians are mentioned as using candles to visit Gethsemane. Now, if it's a garden, on the side of the Mount of Olives, you don't need a candle. But if it's a cave and you're going to go back into the cave to be where they were, you would need a candle. So that would be, when, they, when it talks about early Christians visiting Gethsemane, they'd always take candles with them. And Theodosius, a writer in the 500s AD, 
clearly identifies Gethsemane as a cave. So in 500 AD, Christian writers knew Gethsemane was a cave. And Gethsemane doesn't mean garden. Gethsemane means uh, oil press. And an oil press would be appropriate in a cave near a garden of olive trees. And we know it's a garden because at the very next point C, John 18.1 calls it a garden. And John writes, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook, Kidron. And again, the Kidron is, we call it a valley, but it would be a place where water would run. It could be a place where water is running, especially during the rain season. A brook called Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. So they would have entered a garden, and there would have been a cave in there. So that all fits together. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here with me. Now this is a a reference here to Psalm 42. And I'm going to go to Psalm 42. There's a couple places in Psalm 42. There's only 11 verses there. See if I can do this. Because this is talking about... uh, It's written by the sons of Korah. And remember, Korah, we're going to be talking about him in Jude coming Sunday again. Uh, but there's some sons of Korah that were content with being Levites and just taking care of the doorways of the house of the Lord instead of just being some high priest. And they became musicians. And they're going to write this. And the ideal here is a soul. And Jesus is referring to this, the, the words in this psalm, a soul that is trusting God but is confused. Uh, and things look hopeless. Uh, they realize there's no deliverance. There, there's, no, there's no help coming, and they're going to suffer. Uh, and they don't understand why, uh, but in the end, as they end this, they say, but I will still have faith, I will still have confidence, and I will still hope, because when all this is over, in this case, the crucifixion, when all this is over, there's going to be life again. There's going to be something God is doing. And we can do this whole thing, our souls, lost, confused. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why God's not. I'm praying. I'm seeking. If I made a mistake, they made a mistake. God, I don't know who made a mistake. You're confused. You're hopeless. This this chapter is is saying, but you do know God. You're going to suffer, but when this is over, God is coming back. And here we go. The key verses here would be uh, verse 5 and 11. I'm going to read the whole chapter to you. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? I, mean, I, I want. That's like Job. Where can I go to meet with God? I, I need help. I want, where is God in today? I'm praying, no, he's not available today. Where can I go to find God? So this person can't meet God. My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as, my, as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. I remember the days I would go up to the Temple Mount and I'd be part of the, we, we all could see God, but now... I can't even find him. Why are you downcast, O my soul? This be referring to, this be like what Jesus is saying right here. I'm downcast. 
Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. There was a day I understood God. Now I'm in this place of confusion. My soul is cast down. But why are you staying here? Because you know you can't stay here. You're going to have a day. Yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. So Jesus right here, my soul is downcast because I'm about to go. I used to be on the Temple Mount preaching, teaching. I was in the presence. Again, he is God himself, but he is in fellowship with God the Father. But now... His soul is troubled because I'm going through this time period and it's going to get very confusing. Cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But yet I know from Scripture that people go through this. There is on the other side, there is faith and hope. I will yet, I will get through. This is not the end for a person. You, a person of faith will go through this, but that's not where you stay. You will go, the clouds will blow over, but the clouds are just blowing over. But when you're here, this is where people say, do things that they indicate they don't really have faith in this. It goes on. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jor- the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. My soul is downcast, so right here while you're downcast, what can you do? I can remember stories from the Jordan. I can remember stories from when you were on this mountain. I can remember stories from that mountain. And that's what Bible class is all about. When you go through this, it's like, ah, but I can remember this scripture. I can remember this account. I know where this is going. I don't see it. I, I, I don't feel it. But I remember the story. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. In other words, I'm completely covered up with chaos. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. All this is going to take place to Christ on the cross. Saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And that would have to be part of what Jesus is praying. I'm going into the starting, but I'm putting my hope in you. I know I'm coming out. That's why he always talks about I'm going to be crucified, but I'll be resurrected in three days. I will be crucified, but I will rise again. I will go to my death, but I will meet you in Galilee. I'm going here, but I'll meet you here. And that's... That's the idea of right here when he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Again, the idea of watch, that same word. In fact, point two, watch is gregete, the same word he has told his disciples to do in the parable of the doorkeeper. Keep watch because you do not know the day or hour when he comes back. Now you do not know. You're about to go into this time period. You will not know what's happening to me. You will not understand what's about to happen, so it's time to start watching because it's going to get very confusing. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. And when I return, you do not know when or where. Just start watching. In fact, right here, Exodus 12, 42 on page 4, this Passover night, that's what this would be. They just had the Passover meal. It was to be a night of watching. Two words pop up here in Exodus 12, 42. 
It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by the people of Israel throughout their generations. So the Lord, the night of the Passover, was watching his people, protecting him with the angel. The angel of death was doing one thing, but was also the angels were protecting or passing over their house, and the Lord was watching. He was up all night watching uh, the Passover, and now they're supposed to be watching this night in remembrance of God watching them. So what Jesus is asking them to do is really a Passover verse. Be watching. It's time to start watching. I watched over you in Egypt, or the Exodus. Now it's time for you to watch here. And going a little further, I'm on page 4, verse 35. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. Again, this is a great set of verses, a great thought right here. And uh, I, I try to think of a word for this. Possible. If it is possible... And in the very next verse, you can look down, that's verse right here. If it, is, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible from you. Remove this cup from me. So if this is if, he says, if this is possible. And then he says, all things are possible with you. So if this is possible, take this hour from me. All things are possible. Take this cup from me. Now, this cup is going to be the cup of wrath. If you want to say uh, the cup, that we've got a verse written here and throughout that God gives these enemies this cup of wrath to drink. You see it in, in, the old, in Psalms. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in Revelation. Uh, and Jesus is drinking the cup of God's wrath. God's wrath is being poured out on Christ. That's New Testament doctrine. Uh, but he's drinking it for us. He's drinking it for the sinners. Uh, the cup can be, a, 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 we'll say, a call, a purpose, an appointment. You, you have to drink what God has appointed you to drink. But nonetheless, he wants this cup taken from him. Now, this verse, this, this section right here comes to that area of uh, uh, illogical questions. Illogical, it's like, ah, there's some things you can't answer. No, you can't answer the illogical. For example, the, the story about, can God, not a story, but, you know, can God make a rock so heavy that he can't lift it? Okay, well, that's, you're irrational. That, 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 that you're, you're mixing language together. God can do anything he wants to, so he can make, make a rock so heavy that he can't lift it. Well, you've got, it's like putting two hot wires together. It's like it, it, you have no flow of it. Like you have no flow of logic. And same thing here. If it were possible, God can, all things are possible for God. But understand, what this is going to come down to, according to Scripture, the Christ has to suffer on the cross and drink the cup of God's wrath and pay for the sins of the world. So all things are possible. Yes, they are. Uh, but if you're the Christ, which you are, you have to go to the cross. It's not, you can't be the Christ and not go to the cross. The whole concept, well, he's the Christ. Well, let's have a Christ that doesn't have to suffer. That's not a Christ. That's not a Savior. It's, it's a rock that God made that's too heavy for God to lift. It's like, it's illogical. It, it doesn't fit. And so Christ, and he knows this. The scriptures have foretold his role. Once it is identified, you are the Christ, and he's known it since the beginning, uh, he knows he's going to the cross. The scripture, he says, the scripture must be fulfilled. I have to go here. 
But he's saying, you can just see the agony. It's like, I, I, is there some other way? It's like, and for you to be the Christ, you'd have to not be the Christ for it not to be possible, which is impossible, which is kind of the tougher. And I've got some things written down here. Interestingly, in point E, the priests make this very challenge to Jesus to do the same thing in the contradictory ignorance in Mark 15. In, later on in the next chapter, they say this. So also the chief priests and with the scribes mocked him while he's on the cross to one another saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Now that has got to be the most illogical sentence the, the priests, the religious leaders have ever uttered in Scripture. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross. And if you come down from the cross and, and, and refrain from being the Christ, we'll believe on you as the Christ. It's like, what? The only way the Christ can prove to you that he's the Christ is to stay on the cross and die while you mock him. And thus, he has proven he's the Christ. If he comes down from the cross to prove he's the Christ, he's just nullified the fact that he's the Christ. So the whole thing is illogical. But again, this is a time of confusion uh, as Jesus is entering into this. Again, he's not confused, but his soul, as he said himself, is overwhelmed with the thought. He's not just going to be nailed on a cross. He's not just, again, that would be bad, uh, and it happens, and he suffered. Uh, he's not just going to be beaten. He's not just going to be whipped. This is what he, he's not saying, uh, if you could take, take the whipping away, if you could just take the nails away, if I could just maybe have some, like a, some sleep medication that just puts me to sleep and I just die in my sleep. That's not what he, whatever, however Christ dies, he's going to have to have the cup of God's wrath. It's not just that he dies, he dies suffering for the sins of the world. He's going to have to face the wrath of God. He's going to have to drink in the wrath of God that we might have grace. So he's not, a, I mean, yes, the pain, the suffering of the cross, yeah, physically, that, that's indeed part of it. But the thing that is stopping him not stopping him the thing that i think is overwhelming him is this wrath no people other people have suffered on crosses other people have suffered pain uh torture all kinds of things the romans it's not the first guy they've whipped to the point of death i mean they've they, they're skilled they've done this to people for centuries they know how to do this uh they actually were the ones that took the impaling from the assyrians and turned into crucifixion on the cross which made it a little bit more public demonstration a little bit longer more of a show uh, and so the romans kind of perfected crucifixion so jesus is not the first one to have the pain but he is the only person in history to face the wrath of god and suffer for the sins of the world and if you consider that the sins of the world no one else will suffer for those sins because he has drank that cup now on the other side, when you reject Christ, there's another whole side of the wrath of God coming for rejecting Christ. But if the sin, now this gets into limited atonement and, uh, and all that if you want to go down the Calvinistic road. But the idea here is this is not a cup of wrath that's going to be Jesus drank, drank it, but okay, you didn't accept it, so now you've got to drink it. Christ drank it, but you're now going to suffer not because of your sin, sins plural you're going to suffer for your sin singular of unbelief in the christ 
which again is another cup of wrath coming because now you've rejected God's one and only son. What about your sins? Well, your sins, depending on your, your theology, have been drawn, taken in by Christ on the cross. Again, we're way, way deeper than we need to be there. Um, and we've got to quit right here. And we'll clean this up next week and go on with this story because we're out of time. Uh, I appreciate you being here. I'll pray, and you're free to ask questions or make corrections if you would like to. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into your word. We thank you for the chance to be believers. We do thank you that Christ has come, has died, and we thank that we are on the other side of this uh, uh, salvation in the sense that we have received it. But Father, we also ask that we may continue to grow in grace, produce the things you called us to do, the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of righteousness, as we look forward to the coming kingdom and again, for our own resurrection of our bodies and our glorification. We do thank you for this process and ask that we would never take our eyes off it, that we'd continue to appreciate it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here.